listening to a Bournemouth University podcast. Today we're joined by Sam Crow, Director of Public Health, to discuss how things are looking for the Dorset area, as well as the support available for the BU and local community during COVID times. This episode was recorded remotely prior to the announcement of the national lockdown on Saturday the 31st of October. There may be some background noise. Hello and welcome to another Bournemouth University podcast. I'm your host Ray and today I'm joined by my co-host Elaine Warriner. Hello. As well as Sam Crow, Director of Public Health for Dorset and Bournemouth Christchurch and Paul Councils. Sam, can I get you to introduce yourself and explain a little bit about the work you do? Hi, thanks very much for having me on the show. So as you said in your introduction, I'm the Director of Public Health. um, And I guess my job really is to be responsible for the health of the population across the two council areas. So in Dorset at the moment, we're starting to see an increase in COVID-19 across the country. Um, Are you able to let us know a little bit about what the picture in Dorset's looking like at the moment? Sure. So if you'd asked me this question a week or two ago, I'd probably be looking a bit more relaxed than I am today. We were really lucky over the summer in that we had a pretty low number of cases. So I would say Dorset and BCP councils were what was called a low prevalence area. We were seeing probably two to three cases a day uh, in each of the council areas. Um, As of today, we're seeing a lot more positive cases, and particularly over the last two weeks. I guess I'd probably also say, though, we have to keep things in context. So although we are seeing an increase in cases, uh, we are still relatively fortunate compared with some of those Uh, northern metropolitan areas like Manchester, Newcastle, North Yorkshire that have seen, you know, dramatic increases and lots and lots of cases. So no room for complacency, but equally, I wouldn't want people to panic too much uh, that we're returning to the sort of situation that we saw in the spring. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, From our students' point of view as well at BU, um, we've launched our In This Together campaign, which highlights the important role of the BU community um, in the local community and how you know not being complacent and sticking to those guidelines protects the community and just everyone going about their day-to-day so part of that we're talking about the test and trace app um, we know this overlaps with a lot of the work you do so I don't know what key takeaways you have for the BU community. Yeah thanks that's a, that's a, a big question really I guess my my starting point would be we wouldn't want to treat the student community any differently to any other group that we have to deal with in terms of responding to to COVID. So, you know, students leave complex lives, just like lots of other people. They may have jobs, uh, they may be living on campus, they may be living in accommodation, or they may be living in a private rented sector. Um, what, What I... I guess what the team do locally is that we work very closely with the health protection team which is Public Health England and we work alongside colleagues across both councils to respond to organisations that have positive cases and our role in that is to then support those organisations, find out as much about what's going on, as much about those cases and their context as possible and then follow up on the actions that we need to take to make sure that we stop further transmission. So 
it's not always possible to stop COVID. Um, you know, we are living in a situation where it's circulating in the community. People are going to test positive. What's really important is that we find out as much as possible about who has COVID and who their contacts have been so that we can potentially stop further transmission as quickly as possible. So one of the one of the things we're always really receptive to is trying to understand how those public health messages are landing. And if they're not landing right, or if they're difficult to adhere to because of your uh, personal situation or circumstances you find yourself in, you know, what is it that we can do to perhaps uh, support you to comply with those public health messages as much as possible? Really good example is if you're told to self-isolate. Um, for some people, that might be fine. If you've got a you know, relatively big house, you've got the space and the resources to do that. Um, that's very different to if you're relying on a, you know, a low paid job. Um, and if it means being out of work for two weeks means that you're going to struggle to feed your family or feed your loved ones. You know, that's a completely different situation, isn't it? So sometimes, although the guidance and the advice sounds very simple, there are other things that are going on in people's lives that might make it very, very difficult to, to you know, be able to do that. So we're interested, always interested to hear, you know, what are the challenges? What are the barriers? How can we try to help, um, you know, make it as easy as possible to, to stop transmission? And Sam, that's, that's really reassuring because, you know, at the university, there's a lot that we've got in place to support students to help them self-isolate, you know, food and other stuff. But it's really reassuring that for other members of the community that that support is there um, and that, you, you, that you're recognising that it's a challenging situation for, for people for many different reasons. Yeah, and we've started uh, in both councils, uh, BCP Council started first, but their customer services team is calling everyone who we're notified of who's tested positive just to say, how are you doing? Is there anything we could support you with? Are you okay for food? Uh, and partly that's a, a sort of welfare and a check-in call. Um, but the you know both councils did brilliantly in the early phase of the pandemic with working alongside the voluntary sector just to try to stand up additional support uh, for those people who are clinically vulnerable and had to shield. And we see no reason why we shouldn't be giving the same offer to people who've been told to self-isolate. Um, and I think it is a difficult message. If you don't have symptoms and you've been contacted by Test and Trace and they've said you've got to be, you know, not going out for 14 days, you may well feel perfectly fine. You may well feel, I don't think I have COVID. I don't seem to be coughing. I don't, you know, I don't have a temperature. What's wrong with me popping out to the shops? Um, but self-isolation is a public health measure to try to make sure that we're limiting, you know, doing everything we can to limit transmission. And if that's difficult to achieve, then we've got to play our part and make it as easy as possible for people to do that. So that support is absolutely crucial. And if people are struggling for food, if they're struggling to get hold of medicines or if they're struggling just from a welfare perspective, then we think it's important that we can put more support around people to make it as easy as possible to do that. That's great. And the, the other thing that you mentioned was working in um, unison in partnership with other organisations, including the universities. Um, and we're all part of this local outbreak management plan. I just wondered if you could split, explain a little bit more to our listeners about that. Yes, thank you. So I think 
mean, this is a personal view. Um, I think in the early stages of the pandemic, there was a lot of frustration where we were watching lots of things developed nationally, such as the testing system, uh, test and trace. Um, and, and we felt quite powerless, I think, locally, because there was a sense that we were standing back and watching all of this unfold and, and just watching the, the, the hospital sector in particular really struggle with what was coming in through their doors. Um, so the idea of local outbreak management plans was that when we got over that initial hump of, you know, huge number of cases, um, when the lockdown started to become effective and the case numbers came down, we had a bit of time to get organised and to start to develop local plans that would work more on what we call the contained side. So when case numbers are low, you've got the opportunity of, as I said before, trying to prevent further transmission and to stop that ramping back up again of the, the huge increase in cases that we saw when we were in the epidemic phase of transmission. So the cases came down in the summer and we worked um, across both councils to develop the local outbreak management plan. And really it's it's not a static plan, it's more, I think, a set of behaviours. So we run both plans through something called the Health Protection Board and the Health Protection Board meets every Monday. It's got a huge variety of people that come to that board, um, people from uh, the communities teams of both councils, the adult social care teams, uh, environmental health services, regulatory services, Public Health England, uh, our own local public health team, people from the local health service as well. And the, the point of that meeting is really to assess the situation, to provide advice and guidance as to what we should be doing. You know, what are the key themes that are affecting our community? Are we confident that the things that we're doing and putting in place quickly to try to limit the impact of outbreaks uh, are having an impact? And one of the interesting things about transmission at the moment locally is that we're seeing similar patterns uh, connected with workplaces, actually. So although the university has a number of students that have tested positive, some of the things we're more concerned about are transmission that's happening in workplace settings. So whether it's schools or whether it's GP surgeries or whether it's uh, businesses in the community, what we're seeing time and time again is that when people are sort of in work mode and they're clocking on, they're often very, very compliant with social distancing, mask wearing if they're working in a small space, um, and a lot of businesses have done really well providing COVID secure environments for people to work in. But we're human, aren't we? So when we clock off at the end of the shift, uh, if you've had a difficult day in the classroom, it's only natural sometimes to want to get together with with colleagues and perhaps, you know, sort of download a little bit and spend some social time together. And those are the times when we think the transmission's happening, perhaps because people are a bit more relaxed. Maybe they're, the space is uh, not being maintained. Maybe they've taken the PPE off and they've just had a quick conversation in the car park when they're leaving. And, and that's what we know both from local situations and also some of the learning from national outbreaks that seems to be a, a route of transmission. So one of the roles of the Health Protection Board is to identify those themes really quickly and then develop some really clear messaging, get it out to the sectors that are most effective and, and, and try to understand you know, what, what more we can do to, to reinforce those messages and, and just tighten up on the infection prevention and control. Thanks for sharing a bit about the local outbreak management plan. 
as we start to near the winter months and go through autumn, we know it's going to start to become so important to start considering our mental health. We know many people already struggle with the change of seasons where we can't go outside as much. Um, I was wondering what kind of support there is that Public Health Dorset can share and signpost people to alongside the wellbeing support already on offer at the university. So I think it is really important, isn't it, that we are thinking through what might be the medium term and longer term impacts of this. Um, so there's a range of services and there's a range of support available. Um, but I guess before we get into that, I think sometimes it starts with you, doesn't it? And it starts with what you're doing and your awareness and your um, kind of consideration of, of how you're checking in with yourself regularly. You know, even for me, if I speak personally, I think about the way that we're working now, um, largely at home. Uh, a lot of my work is on video calls, which can sometimes be back to back. You know, it starts quite early in the day. Um, sometimes I'm working 12 hour days, not because I, I want to, but that's just what's coming in that needs to be dealt with. But something that I try to do is to kind of check in with myself and to stop myself getting drawn into that situation where you feel that, you know, everything has to be done. Um, you have to be on every call. You know, you can't take a break. You can't kind of disengage from what's going on. So I guess my, my biggest tip is that, you know, there are things that we can all do to just be aware of being drawn into that unhelpful space where you're thinking a lot about COVID. You're thinking a lot about what might be on your plate and your, your family's plate and your friend's plate and starting to, you know, worry unnecessarily or focus uh, perhaps too long on some of those things that we, you know, we can't do much about. So before we talk about, you know, perhaps the more formal types of support, I would say look at resources available online through Public Health England's Every Mind Matters campaign. Some good tips on the website there. I think there's a checklist of about 12 things just to start to reflect on to kind of catch yourself and make sure that you're not getting into that unhelpful thinking space sometimes of perhaps dwelling on things too much. And, and, and for me, what I found was it's difficult in my day job. I'm surrounded by coronavirus because that's my job. That's what I have to do. When I switch off, if I switch the news on, um, if I'm trying to kind of have some downtime in the evenings, you know, it's all over the news. It's all over the Internet, all over Twitter. Um, I have to make a conscious break to say, no, I'm going to have an hour to be on my bike or go for a run or spend time with my kids uh, when we're not going to talk about coronavirus. We're going to be in the moment and do something playful and, and lighthearted and fun. Um, just to try to you know stay as, as mentally well as, as possible because it, it's not easy. The other thing I'd say is there are formal sources of support through you know things like Steps to Wellbeing, which is the the uh, mental health and wellbeing service provided by Dorset Healthcare. But I, I would say as a first step, if you're not feeling great, you know talk to people, um, but also talk to some of the the welfare support that's on offer through the university, because I know that the universities are thinking about this a lot. I know that they are checking in with people. I know there's lots of sources of support and advice. You know, don't hold back if you're, if you're not feeling okay. It, it's understandable, isn't it? It's entirely understandable, and, and, and it's okay to, to talk about that. I think that's a really important message there, um, and one that we often forget, that it's, you know, it is okay to not feel okay you know and we all have good days and we all have bad days and I'm sure we can all recount tales 
of you know when we've had days or periods during the, the last sort of six nine months where we've struggled um and it is you know it is important to find out what helps you to feel better whether that's talking to someone you know for me it's if I've I just need to get outside if I'm feeling really low I need to go into the fresh air and that instantly makes me feel better but you know it's recognizing that moment that you just need to put everything to one side and say okay this is my time and I need to do that and I think that's a really important point that you make. I'd, I'd agree Elaine and I think you know little and often um, I you know don't don't let things get get so bad that they build up um if you if you know what makes you feel better do more of it i know it sounds simple but sometimes you know even yeah i i completely am, am my worst enemy sometimes particularly in this job when it's been busy um you know it is a pressured situation and sometimes you feel a bit powerless over what's happening uh, and yet everyone's looking to you for, for for answers sometimes um but i can choose to think about that differently and that's my choice um, you know, I have to recognise that there's only you know, there's a limit to what I can do. There's a limit to what the public health team can do. There's a limit to what anyone in, in this situation can do. Um, and it's not all on, you know, one person's shoulders or a team's shoulders. Uh, we are in this together to come back to one of the themes that we started discussing. You know, we all have a part to play, but equally, we all have a part to play in recognising if we're starting to, you know, to feel a bit low or to, to go back to some of those thoughts on a regular basis, what is it that we can do to have a bit of a break from it? Um, you know, be in the moment a bit more and and do some of those things that, that are going to make, you know, make life a bit a bit easier um, and do that regularly rather than letting things build up. You know, don't don't let things mount up. Um, have a break. And as you say, it's OK to not be OK. I think at the moment um, as well, lots of people are getting a lot more open to the idea that everyone is being affected by COVID differently. So everyone's experience is so vastly different and everyone's going through a different experience. So people are open to the fact that, you know, everyone might be having down days or up days. So I think people are a lot, lot more open to the conversation. So just people having the confidence to, you know, come out of their shells and talk to their colleagues or course mates or, you know, flatmates if they're working remotely just to ask them if they're okay it all goes a long way I think that's right so I'd like to ask a couple of questions how, how is how is life uh, both on and off campus at the moment because as I you know I, I I've not been at university since 1988 1991 was when I graduated which is a long time ago but I, I can imagine you know arriving uh, to start term if you're in your first year completely different experience to what I had. And I can imagine it must be incredibly frustrating, you know, difficult, anxious time, and particularly looking at what's happened in some of the other universities. Um, it must be must be really tough. So so how are things? What what what's happening and and what can we do? Because the more that we understand how students are feeling, um, the more we can work alongside, you know, universities in our professional meetings to understand how we can make life easier and and continue the good work really to keep our, our cases as low as possible but also make sure people feel supported really important that's a really good question Sam and I think obviously this year campus is a lot quieter than we would expect it at any other time of the year and as you say for new students arriving their first experience is in a in a hall in a, in a sort of flat within the hall getting to know their new flatmates 
but maybe not physically meeting their their cohort of students on their course. And there's a lot of um, support within the halls for those students in terms of the Res Life BU team that we have. They do lots of welfare uh, work within the halls. Of course, a lot of our students are not in halls. They're out in, in accommodation throughout Bournemouth in, in certain areas and maybe living with friends, but also sort of perhaps not on campus so much interacting with other students. And, you know, for those students, there's also support, particularly if they're needing to self-isolate. You know, we can support them with whatever they, they need in terms of food, et cetera. And obviously, we're aware of the support from wider BCP area and council um, also to help. And we work closely with the student union. So they're also working on, you know, continuing to have activities and support for students, particularly through their clubs and societies and other activities. But it is obviously a very different experience. I think in terms of your question about, you know, what Public Health Dorset can do to help, I think a lot of the support or the guidance, is it's about making it as simple as possible. You know, it's quite confusing for all of us, isn't it? So I guess any support in terms of helping us to, to make that message simple and understandable is really important for us. Thank you, Elaine. That's really helpful. And, and you're right. I think it, it is it has been difficult, hasn't it? Because the guidance has changed. Um, and I think the government's tried to do the right thing by simplifying some of the rules. But sometimes that has unintended consequences as well. And we're always on hand to try to help people work through the, the particular instances in which, you know, guidance is guidance, isn't it? Um, it's understanding the context. And I, I think some of some of where we can help is is in supporting organisations with risk assessments. So, you know, these aren't black and white situations. Um, and as you say, there are some apparent contradictions sometimes in, in what may be exempt from sweeping rules like the rule of six. But we're always happy to support people to work through particular situations, think through the different angles, give a view uh, of where the real risks lie. And, and sometimes that can be quite helpful in, in sort of unpicking what on the face of it might be, you know, quite a complex situation. Um, I think, you know, as we get deeper into this, I think more and more we're going to have to accept as a country that we've got to live with it. And so the questions will be more about, you know, what degree of what degree of risk can we accept to kind of enable us to continue to live our lives as normally as possible and to, you know, continue to keep the parts of society going that are really important. There was great anxiety, I think, about children going back to school and I know it's different in other parts of the country, but in Dorset and in BCP Council, the attendance rates have been pretty high on the whole. We haven't had to send huge numbers of pupils home. Where we've had uh, some issues in schools, as I said before, it's been because teachers have had to self-isolate because they've had a positive case. Um, and that's meant that it's been difficult to open that school, but we've not seen huge numbers of children having to go home because of widespread transmission within schools. And I think the same applies to, you know, to lots of different settings. If we can continue to understand how to make the guidance work to enable us to carry on doing the things that we need to do, then we'll reach an equilibrium where we understand how to live with this. 
but we'll just need to see how the next few weeks and months go to understand what sort of an equilibrium we might reach in an area like Dorset and BCP councils. Hopefully we won't see those huge spikes and that huge ramping up in transmission. And if that's the case and things settle down over the next few weeks, then the questions will be more about how can we live with this? You know, how can we, how can we adapt? How can we get to a position where we're not feeling as if we're in a, a perpetual crisis? And although that may sound counterintuitive coming from a director of public health, I think, you know, no one can be in crisis management mode for a year or two years. It's just not possible. So we're going to have to think about how we continue to manage and live with this calmly and professionally and do the things that need doing when they need to be done to respond to, you know, situations that need uh, more support. But we can't continue to be living in a in crisis mode. It's, it's not, not good for our health at all. Some comments that were put on Twitter by a professor who's experienced in, you know, supporting lots of international crises. I think she's done a lot of humanitarian work um, over many years. And she put a thread on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that really caught my attention, talking about in every humanitarian crisis, you, you reach a point after six months where, you know, it's almost like you've hit a wall. Um, and rather than sort of trying to crash through that and ignoring it, you know, it's okay to stop and acknowledge that and to realise that that's it's entirely human to feel like that, isn't it? But it will pass. And after it passes, partly that's that bit of adapting and accepting and acclimatising to, to the situation we're in and accepting that that is, you know, that is our current reality. It's probably going to go on for, for a bit of time. Um, and we will adapt and we will adjust. And I come back to the conversation we had in the middle of our session, which was much more about finding those little things that really make a difference, going back to those and being really mindful of just how important it is to, to go back to those small moments that break up what's in front of us. Thank you for listening. For more information about the support available from Public Health Dorset, please visit www.publichealthdorset.org.uk and as always, for help and support from Bournemouth University, please visit our website www.bournemouth.ac.uk